Hello, this is Kinch Rendell with Your Business Podcast. Today's podcast is a book review by Josh Waitskin. He wrote the book, The Art of Learning, An Inner Journey to Optimal Performance. Josh was a chess prodigy, made famous by the book his dad wrote, and also the movie that came because of that called Searching for Bobby Fischer. So that, literally, he was good enough that his dad could write a book about him, which made him more famous, which kind of was a challenge we'll get into later. The book, I have to thank Terry for giving me this book. She thought I'd enjoy it, and she's correct, I did. It took me about two and a half days of reading, probably an hour to a day. I'm probably not the fastest reader still, but it was fun. It was good to read, and I, I've taken quite a few things from this. I think most all these things, since it is about learning, you can apply to most anything. He talks about how to deal with emotions and all kinds of different things that are really applicable. In my life, I'm thinking, oh, I still compete at autocross racing, so I can apply some of that stuff directly there. But also, just when emotions run high and such, even if I'm having a, a discussion with my wife or anything or anybody, I think it can all apply to us in so many ways. So let's get into some of these thoughts that I took from the book. Once again, a well-written book. He broke it down into three different sections, let's say. And what he really took from things was how much he could learn or how he learned in the chess world and then how he later learned as a professional martial arts, something called push hands. He became the world push hands champion after trying a couple of times and has been very good at that as well. So he was an athletic kid who sounded like he bounced off the walls quite a bit, lots of energy. Went to, at the age of like six or seven, he was introduced to chess. And it's almost like he intuitively understood parts of chess. Like at some point he mentions that he's playing some people and they're like, oh, you're trying to snork us. He actually does know how to play. He, how long has he been playing? They're like, no, he really hasn't been playing that long, like months or something. So kind of crazy that some kids just may take the things like that. And his parents luckily nurtured that for him and gave him the training and everything else necessary to become a true champion at all the different age levels. And something I just heard on a podcast I listened to a little bit of so far, he always mentioned that he played up. He always played at a higher level that would challenge him. And I think that's so important for all of us. For mentors, can we challenge ourselves to be mentored by people ahead of us, way ahead of us if possible? Can you, if you have a kid, can you get them to always play up a level? If they're driving a car or a go-kart, can you get them to get the faster one? This truly relates back to other people I've interviewed for my other podcast that mention always level up, play up, up the competition. Maybe for yourself in business, you need to up the competition and think that you have some. I'm currently reading the book about halfway done with Bill Walton's for Walmart. And he always was competitive and went and researched and researched and met and talked to his competition. So something else that he also mentioned, it seems like a running trait, a running action that people take. They challenge themselves, they look for challenges, and if anything, they level up. So what else does he talk about? He explains the journey of chess and learning chess. I had no clue. So he's got lots of good stories in there all the time and training and coaches and different attitudes of coaches or different methodologies. Truly amazing. I makes me glad I didn't play chess in some reality. Just, I mean, once again, to compete, to be the top of your level for the country like he was, you put in a lot of time. Once again, if it's something you're passionate about, it makes total sense because who else is going to put in that much time and effort? It's just, it's insane once you look at this. And also when he gets to the martial arts of push hands competitions, same thing. The amount of study and what he can draw out and the little bitty things he's working on are amazing. But I do think you can apply some of this stuff. He mentions salespeople and everybody else that literally, 
you're always, if you're negotiating, you have something going on where literally every little thing can be a clue or a tactic. So I do think a lot of things he talks about, you can apply to your life, whether it's your business, your job, your relationship with people, how you want to raise kids or not raise kids. Just so many things you can draw from this. So try to do that. That's what I really do when I read any book. What, how can I draw that into different parts of my life and improve it? So he has a section here called soft zones. He looked back at some of the moments in his chest and he called them soft zones when he became part of the moment. He studied that and has tips and techniques for creating these moments when necessary. So what he realized is when he's challenged, he really needs to come back and figure out how to get back focus. And we're going to talk about quite a few things he brings up for that. He talks about how he dealt with challenges and distractions, everything from music, playing that would stick in his head like before a tournament. He would have some theme or some song rhythm stuck in his head. Also kids that would kick him under the board or under the table. How about shaking the chessboard, coughing, making different noises. And it's really neat to see later on. He now realizes all those challenges or any dirty players or dirty fighting in the martial arts, he could learn from them. So anytime that would happen and it would fluster him, he realized, Hey, this is a learning opportunity. So how many of us can do that in all different aspects of our life? When something flusters us, can we learn from it and get to the point where it doesn't? That, that's huge. So I, I think I can apply that for years and years and years to come as long as I am living, basically. So once again, he wanted to call these things soft zones. When he became present in the moment, our time just kind of flies by. Hopefully you can find some of those things in your own life because we're going to talk about some things later about how to get yourself in the zone, let's say the soft zone or the focus zone by taking these moments that you do experience this where time just kind of disappears maybe your body, you're just kind of in the moment and apply that to where, let's say his example was focusing at work. So think about that. What areas of your life do you just get to the point where time can just fly by? Hopefully it's not just watching TV. Hopefully. Although I can say podcasting when I'm listening to podcasts now at the farm, time flies by. So once again, all those distractions, he could learn from them. Here's a quote from page 60. Mental resilience is arguably the most crit critical trait of a world-class performer and should be nurtured continuously. When uncomfortable, my instinct is not to avoid the discomfort, but to become at peace with it. My instinct is to always seek out challenges as opposed to avoiding them. Something else, literally. Look for the challenges because you could grow from them. Once you realize you can grow from a challenge, maybe a lot of them will be looked at more favorably. And you'll actually look for what can I learn from this and make something better about my life or other people's lives from them. So he was quite famous at chess. The book comes out, makes him a little more famous because his dad wrote this book. The other players don't like that, a little bit jealous. He had a lot of things kind of crushing down on him. I want to say, I forget if it was age 16, 18, 19 all the way up to 20, and he talked about this point, his downward spiral in chess competitions. I took a few things from this. I, I like his explanation of playing chess the way that matches personality. And when he didn't do that, he didn't do as well. He wasn't working through his strengths is what I think about when he mentioned that. And this gets into where he literally had several coaches and they were very different in the, their tact with him. One thought they should break him down and have him kind of come back up as a player, not doing what he naturally did. Whereas the other one kind of was like, okay, we'll work with your strengths. And he literally thinks that by not being himself anymore, by trying to be someone else with different tactics, that didn't help. It really, really hurt him. 
1617, the book came or the movie comes out, and that adds more fame, a challenge, and a distraction. At the time, it wasn't didn't sound like he learned a lot from that. So later, he comes back into tying this learning process as he gets into martial arts to realize, wow, those were good challenges. He just didn't know what he knew later on. Another quote, page 63. As a competitor, I've come to understand that the distance between winning and losing is minute. And moreover, that there is, there are ways to steal wins from the maw of defeat. All great performers have learned this lesson. So that probably drives him to work more and more and more. Just realizing that, that between winning and losing, how do you apply it to business? Between getting the next sale and not getting the sale. Whether you're selling cars, selling a product, that little bit extra. Can you put out one more blog post a week or start a blog and get one more search, somebody that finds your blog and links back to you and buys your product or pays for something or buys something or gives you positive feedback? Minute. And that's why it makes me think of taking little steps every day that increase your prosperity for the next day or your chance of having more prosperity. Just minute. So that's kind of what I talked about. He also talks about being present rather than being stuck in time. He has a good thought there where if you have two lines running parallel, so you have your hands going through time or moving out away from you, if you get upset or distracted or something, you're kind of stuck in that moment that's now in the past while time keeps going. And he explains how that can affect you at chess. It can affect you in life and martial arts, all of that. Literally, that's us looking at the past instead of staying present. So there's a lot more on that. Um, let's see. He mentions in this downward spiral time, reading some books. He mentions On the Road, The Dharma Bums, if I said that correctly, yeah, and The Tao Te Ching. And The Tao Te Ching makes me think of Wayne Dyer, who just passed away in 2015. And The Tao Te Ching, quote from the book, The Tao Te Ching's Wisdom centers on releasing obstructions to our natural insight, feeling false constructs for what they are, and leaving them behind. I don't believe I have this book. I don't when Wayne Dyer mentioned it, and then he went and lived that, that life, let's say, and he moved to really get into that, and he wrote his own rendition, I would say. I definitely want to check it out now. Hearing it again, it's just something I've noticed, a coincidence, let's say, that, oh yeah, somebody brought it up again. So at this time... He's introduced, I think, through a friend who recommended it, about Tai Chi. This is also a coincidence, at least in my life. I'm literally listening to a Tai Lopez call yesterday, and I've been thinking for, I don't know, since I started reading this book, oh yeah, Tai Chi, I should check that out and see what it is. Well, this guy is talking about, now I'm forgetting what exactly the topic was, but he breaks over and goes, Tai Chi, yeah, I recommend it to everybody, just like a side note. He just brings it up again. So in my life, I really do try to take these coincidences, especially when they're positive, and link them together and say, hey, that's probably something I should check out. So in this case, somebody suggesting that Josh check out Tai Chi leads him to this whole new world of martial arts because Tai Chi later introduced him to push hands competitions where he becomes a champion of the world by competing in Taiwan. And it's also, once again, as I said, it's amazing how much effort, time, thought, energy he puts into mastering this. I realize that anybody that's willing to do that in most any aspect, if they're passionate about it, 
they will do this and they could do that in business. I, I often think about people who are good at some athletic sport. If they can find or focus their passion to something business related, I believe they can succeed there too. I really think it comes into, do you dissect things like he does? He talks about making moves and you got to check out YouTube videos. I just did the other day, what push hands is. And there's two different forms, but one of it's where you're standing there one foot in front of the other one and somebody's opposite of you and you put your hands on their hands and wrist. And the whole point is to push or pull them to make them move their feet before you move your feet. So all martial arts, although you can still be dirty, it sounds like, and hit people where you shouldn't hit them or do something. There's a whole bunch to this little interaction of, I want you to move your feet before you make me move mine. It's, it's reading the book. It's incredible how they break it down and literally how much he pushes or doesn't push on the wrist before they say go when you're touching each other's wrist at the beginning to, oh, if I get into the rhythm and see what they're doing when they're blinking their eyes, I know they're about to blink their eyes. I'm going to make my move. It's incredible what they notice when they really dig into something, when you have the passion to learn at that level and to challenge yourself and to spend the hours and hours and weeks and months. I really like at some point here, and the chapter now we get to is investment and loss. You need to be challenged enough that you lose and then learn from it to advance. So once in challenges, he takes on things where when he is hurt or injured or anything, he takes it as something he can learn from. Some more quotes before we get into more of that. Investment in loss is giving yourself to the learning process. So one thing is you're okay with loss. If anything, you're looking forward to some of it because you can take something and grow from it. He mentions back in his chess days, he's glad he always played up because he was okay with losing. He mentions where some people, they never challenge themselves or their parents never really, let's say, challenge them or put challenges out there. So they think they're really good. And it comes back to the mindset book that I rave over. And the podcast is so long. I think it's almost too long for that book. Where literally, if you build somebody up where they never have failure, it's almost like they're in the fixed mindset. Where then they're so scared to fail because if they fail, they're no longer good. So I won't get into too much of that. But literally, he mentions how the failure is good. Even as a kid, he was okay with failure. He was usually playing up. So he felt some kind of more, let's say, stress or something different when he was playing kids about losing to them because he usually didn't lose to them. But at least he was okay with losing. Unlike some kid he mentioned, maybe let's say he won 100 games in a row, but he only played people he pretty much knew he could beat. So investment and loss. Are you okay with that? Do you realize that that's the key to growing, to getting outside your comfort zone? You have to be okay losing. You have to be okay not succeeding the first try, the second try, the third try. Just like the light bulb, if it takes 10,000 tries for something, it might be worth it. Another quote, it is essential to have a liberating incremental approach that allows for times when you're not in a peak performance state. We must take responsibility for ourselves and not expect the rest of the world to understand what it takes to become the best that we can become. Great ones are willing to get burned time and again as they sharpen their swords in the fire. He mentions, he then talks about Michael Jordan. He's known for making the most last minute shots, but he also missed the most last minute shots. Being okay to being burned at times. Being okay that you're gonna have to deal with some failure and that you're okay with that and it doesn't hold you back the next time, that you're still gonna try. 
Because a lot of times, let's say in baseball, the people that hit the most home runs sometimes also have the most strikeouts. They're okay with that because guess what they're really remembered for? Michael Jordan making the last-minute shots. That's what goes in the commercials. I think it's the Gatorade commercial. Another chapter here is Making Smaller Circles, Chapter 11. And I'll summarize the whole thing as into, for me, it was breaking things down to smaller steps. Being the turtle versus instead of the rabbit. The turtle keeps prodding along. So in your business, in your life, keep improving. Keep putting in positive thoughts and actions. Keep prodding along. Break things down a little. Get the fundamentals down. Hit the fundamentals. If my kids want to get into chess, reading this, he talks about he really studied a lot on the end game, the end of the chess, not the beginning where everybody else does. So therefore, when the games came toward the end, he was better off. He was more comfy there. He had more confidence there, let's say, and he had more experience. The next chapter, 12, using adversity. He has three critical steps in a resilient performer's evolving relationship to chaotic situations. This is on page 126. First, we have to learn to be at peace with imperfection. Then to learn to use imperfection to our advantage. And the third, create ripples in our consciousness. So we are constantly inspired whether or not external conditions are inspiring. I mean, he writes a whole chapter on this. Because once again, that's what he realized. That's when he can grow. The adversity, the challenges. I think for most of our lives, that, that's where we grow. If it's all easy, what fun is it? If we all were just given a billion dollars, uh, I guess maybe a challenge you find is to make two billion instead of just sitting around like winning the lottery for a billion. When it came to competing in martial arts, he took a challenge of having a hurt right arm to learn to use his left. So when he was injured, he kept his right arm back. And he realized, oh, I've now improved my left arm. So if you're competing, anything, you're, if something's taken away from you in business, okay, learn a different technique. Let's say Facebook uh, quits displaying stuff to all the people for free, which they did. So literally, you have 100,000 followers, and you were pushing out all your sales ads years ago or specials. All of a sudden, Facebook said, hey, pay us or else we're going to show 100 people that. Then you challenge yourself to learn how to be better at, let's say, Facebook ads or what the latest and greatest platform is that you can get advertising out there. So taking the challenges and, and learning from them to keep going instead of stopping. He had the challenge of dealing with illegal hits, letting how to deal with his fear. He really realized it was the fear of being hit in the throat or being headbutted. And what he really realized, like, okay, I have this fear. I got to get over this. I should actually ask people to practice with me to do that. And what he took from that even is, okay, now that I know how to dodge and protect myself from these things, the competitors who have been using that to get the upper hand by making myself or somebody else flustered, it's gone. And at that point, he then has the upper hand because they're expecting a certain result and he's not upset or, and he doesn't lose his focus. And that came back to chess. He was mentioning like, oh yeah, the more he could, let's say, take that song stuck in his head. Bink, 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 bink. And he said, instead of being bothered by it, I started making my thoughts go with the rhythm or the tap, tap, tap of a pencil or some noise. Huge! Can you take those distractions and turn them to a positive somehow, or at least something where they can just float away, like a thought when you're meditating? Can you do that? Because it gives you a huge advantage. Think about that. How many professional sports people, or I think of basketball. I used to watch a lot of NBA basketball. They're trash talking. They're getting each other's heads. And I think you mentioned somewhere in this book, literally, 
there were people like Reggie Miller that you didn't want to talk to. And Michael Jordan, you didn't want, as much as he talked, he was really trying to get you to talk back to him, to inspire him. He was able to take that, any extra emotion he felt probably from you talking back to him and channel that into a better performance. Huge. Let's say you're negotiating, you're in business, you're selling cars, you're buying stuff. Either side of any deal, you want to remain calm and focused and take those emotions and turn them back in to make them a positive. That's why I take from all these things that he might have, I guess he does mention some of that stuff where literally you can take this to every negotiation. Anytime you get excited, whether it's in the heat of battle, the heat of an argument, and use it to be able to calm back down as a positive. He also learned to concede certain moves in his martial arts career to conserve his energy. And I just like this insight he has here. How would I apply that? I don't really know in business per se, but literally he would say that a certain group of people, I think it was Taiwanese or some the people overseas doing push hands, they would want to grapple where they're going to wrestle. And he said a lot of people would spend a lot of energy trying to keep them from doing what they're best at, letting them get some position. Where I realized, okay, I'm just going to let them do that. I'm going to conserve my energy and learn how to deal with the situation once we get there and have an advantage once I get there. He said that threw them off their game because then he was much more relaxed, had his energy, and had them somewhere he expected them to be. Can you apply that to something in your life or business? Can you maybe not push so hard against something that most likely is going to happen? Can you let that part happen and then say, well, how am I going to deal with this? Just let, are you using your energy in the right places? Is that how I take, take from this? Are you always pushing back on something in a relationship? When in reality, you're like, okay, I just do that as a habit. I should quit exerting that energy there or those negative thoughts or feelings or sayings or words. Think it, it can apply anywhere. Chapter, the next chapter is searching for the zone. So as I would say, once again, basketball, they're in the zone. Every shot they shoot, it just like the hoop is a five foot circle. It's so easy to make baskets the zone so he's talking about searching for it he starts the chapter off with this great summary he goes how can i learn to enter the zone at will make it a way of life how can i maintain my focus under pressure stay serene and principled under fire overcome distraction what do i do when my emotions get out of control that that's a lot of stuff that i think we can all use whether you're competing or not whether you're somebody that is a professional or isn't to be in the zone when you need to. Let's say it's for a business meeting, for an important phone call, a discussion, any of these things. Just to be more in the zone, more awake, more present. In this chapter, he talks about some techniques he learned when he went to the Human Performance Institute, formerly LGE in Orlando, Florida. And I like this personally because I still compete in a car in a parking lot racing around rubber cones. And I also realized just when I... If I have a conversation with somebody, I, I feel my emotions going up or my heart rate, the adrenaline. I really like this chapter because he talks about some of the techniques from meditation to cardio workout. So when he talks about relaxation breaks or meditation, I I mean, it hit, it hit home when he was like, realize once again, you're not going to be successful right away. When I try to just focus on breathing, I instantly think of something else in a few seconds or a minute, well, not even a minute. And he goes, that's okay. You let that thought go and you come back. And it's the repetition. It's the practice of doing that over and over. And what he said, what happens here is as you keep meditating and go, okay, yeah, I had this thought about I should do a podcast. And I let that go when I come back and I breathe in and breathe out and get back to that focus. 
that all translate later translates later when I'm trying to focus, when I'm trying to stay focused reading a book or doing anything else in life. It's just that practice of it. He realized through that, through talking to somebody at the Institute, he went back and looked at all his notes. So evidently chess players write down every move and then at what time they made that move. So how long do they think before they made a move? And he realized the guy asked, well, do you do better with breaks? And he's like, oh yeah, when I take a certain amount of time in between and kind of clear myself up, I have a much better, I make much better moves afterwards because they go back and study their games and see kind of where they went wrong. And he realized there's all these professional sports people that are at this. And he's a chess guy, chess, uh, yeah, guy at this point, literally with all these athletes running. And they have him doing all this cardiovascular stuff and checking out his body and how healthy he is. So he realized with the taking a break that he did better. And he's talking to like an NFL football quarterback who said, oh, yeah, I used to stand up and cheer on the sideline for my defense. And then I realized, no, I need to sit back and just take a break mentally and physically. And he mentions how Michael Jordan would take the two-minute break, put the towel over his head. If you start looking around, if you watch sports, realize that. Do the best performers, do they sit there and stand on the sideline up and down and clap and everything else? Or are they really just recharging mentally and physically? He mentions how he does that also in martial arts in between their rounds for 30 seconds or a minute. He lays flat on his back just breathing. Probably looks like to everybody, wow, he's really hurting over there. He's laboring. He's out of it. Which may actually give him an advantage to thinking, yeah, he's getting tired. But he said he can recharge so quickly because of all the practice. And the technique I've already done twice now, since I've only read the book a few days ago, was the cardiovascular interval training. They would put him on a, um, a bike and have him pedal, 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 until his heart rate got up to 170. Then he would take a minute break until it came back down to like a 140 range. And then he'd go hard again, push that heart rate back up high, then take a break, let it come back down in the 140s. And it's amazing that he said doing the physical activity helped him with his ability to relax and recover between arduous thought processes in a chess game. So I'm literally thinking for me and anything I'm doing, can I, if I feel my emotions going up, can I, will that shorten every time because I'm doing the cardio workout? And from what they've studied at this institute, that's what happens. So I'm thinking not only can you get a good workout, but it can also help you stay calm or help you get back to a calm moment sooner and sooner and sooner. So I would think most of us could do this in our life. We get we get to be healthier if we haven't run much. And it's going to help us outside of just the physical aspect of it. It's, and they break down all the reasons how you're, how we're connected like that, how our mental and our emotions are connected with our physical. So I, I really like that chapter. I won't go any further on that. The next one is building your trigger. So this is where you trigger getting back into the zone. And he has some, a great example here. So this is for how to deal with stress and how to create routines to get into the zone and how to shorten the time to get into the zone so we can turn it on really quickly. And some people literally, even at Toastmasters, oh, I can just go there and go walk outside and go, oh, yell or something or make a certain pose or smile and get back into a good zone. And the example here is a guy who realizes when he goes to work to important meetings, he's just kind of out of it. So what he asks everybody to do is say, hey, find a time or times in your life when time just goes by, it's something really happy you're doing. Just it's blissful. And the example he gives is a dad throwing a football with his son. He goes, that's really, really, really blissful. That's, that's when I feel alive. I just feel there. I'm present. I need to be present in my meetings. He goes, okay, you're going to start by doing two or three things before you go and throw that football with your son. 
It can be hopefully something that's portable. So he listens to a song, maybe did workout and one other thing. So he had these three activities are like 10 or 15 minutes long each. So some dedication here to begin with. You have these routines. So you do thing one, thing two, thing three in order. Then you go throw the football. And you keep doing this routine. And what you're doing is you're programming yourself that when steps one, two, and three happen, I'm then blissful at four. And I think the blissfulness actually starts coming back up. If you like a song, if you like this other activity you're doing, you're kind of blissful, 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 and then really blissful. And what he said, he goes, okay, now before your meetings, you can't throw the football, let's say at six in the morning to your son or something, but you can do steps one, two, and three. So you're going to do those and go to your meeting and you're going to be much more present and blissful or there. And he said, literally he was, he's much more in the zone. So what makes you blissful? And then will you set up some things before that to help yourself get into the zone? And then he said, once you have this working, you're doing steps one, two, three, and then four, you start shortening the time for steps one, two, and three. And he's like, with practice, you can shorten it all the way down to basically nothing for himself. It's almost like thinking a certain thing, or let's say smiling, some activity or some movement or some thought to get yourself back focused. And he points out in here at some point that literally he hurts his hand in a competition. I think he broke it. But all of a sudden he could focus because our bodies are made to be very aware. Pain in something else makes us very aware. Whoa, there's a tiger. Okay, I can sense something that may kill me or harm me. You're focused. You can really focus in. That's what he's helping you do when you talk about getting into the zone and building your trigger to do so. So I think that's, I think that's really important to at least start noticing these things. When are you in the zone and what can you do to do more and more of that by setting up these triggers, building some routine before it to always be able to call that back up when it's important. And once again, he did talk about meditation and just the practice of it. And for me, my only little tip on this is I'm much better when I'm focusing my breathing and I'm counting. I go in, out, that's one, in, out, two. So once I put the counting in there, I realize I can do this. My challenge for myself often is don't count and just see if you can come back to breathing and have less and less thoughts. Here's another chapter here, making sandals. And let's say his explanation at some point in the book is there's the thorny road or a glass covered road and you don't have anything on your feet. Well, you can cover the whole road up by putting something on top of it or moving all the glass away, or you can just build sandals. So once again, he has great stories you can actually remember and realize, oh, when he says making sandals, what, what does that mean? How does that relate to anything? And in this chapter, he's dealing with what to do with your feelings and emotions. Can you take those emotions and channel them into a deeper focus? Like most of the athletes that are really good can and do. Here's a quote. Then there are those elite performers who use emotion, observing their moment and then channeling everything into a deeper focus that generates a uniquely flavored creativity. So once again, you may have to take some emotion and use it the best way you can use it and be creative with it. He covers the thoughts around anger, ego, and fear. Another quote here. He goes, I had to develop the habit of raking Raking on my technical, oh, working, I bet it says working on my technical weakness whenever someone pushed my limits instead of falling back into a self-protective, indignant pose. Once that adjustment was made, I was free to learn. If someone got into my head, they were doing me a favor, exposing a weakness. 
They were giving me a valuable opportunity to expand my threshold for turbulence. Dirty players were my best teachers. So let's talk about someone that literally, he looks at, he finally looked at those things realizing, wow, they're going to help me. He didn't do that right away, once again, especially not playing chess as a kid with the distractions. But at some point here he did. He's like, whoa, these are all opportunities to learn. Another quote, the only way to succeed is to acknowledge reality and funnel it. Take the nerves and use them. We must be prepared for imperfection. If we rely on having no nerves, on not being thrown off by a big miss, or on the exact replication of a certain mindset, then when the pressure is high enough, or when the pain is piercing, is too piercing to ignore, or that our ideal state will shatter. How true is that? I, I probably have thought this. Oh yeah, I can just deal with my emotions or let them go or feel them and let them go. Well, you, I guess I should say you more have to deal with them because some level may raise higher and higher. And he mentions how, okay, he's done this training, push hands training competition. Then he goes to Taiwan. It's like their national sport. He's, he, he couldn't train for that. He didn't know. He didn't know how to train for that. He didn't know how to train for the time when they said, you'll be out in the morning. You have to be here within five minutes when we announce it. So to stand here. Well, it was after lunchtime, so he went and ate some greasy food and was all mentally out of it. So literally, realize that it's best if you can deal with the emotions and use them and funnel them back to a positive. Because at some point, they may get so high that you've not practiced at that level. You, you, maybe, you probably can't do that. Uh, he, he has a quote from his dad who has written several books, obviously the one that made him even more famous. A good challenge for himself. He asked the great chess player, Gary, I wish I would have looked up his name, Kasparvo, Parov, K-A-S-P-A-R-O-V. He was a champion for nearly 20 years. He said, how did he deal with a lack of confidence in an upcoming match if he just lost one or wasn't feeling it? I think this is great. Gary responded that he would try to play chess moves that he would have played if he were feeling confident. He would pretend to feel confident and hopefully trigger the state. That's like me smiling. If I'm not feeling great before a phone call or before I make a phone call, I smile. I physically change something as much as I can to hopefully put myself in a positive state. Hopefully you can find some things like that that will work as well for you. Triggers. What do you notice when you're happy? Can you do that right before you're going to do something that maybe you're not so happy about? So I think that is a great, great way to wrap up this book. Once again, it's The Art of Learning by Josh Waitskin. Let's hear that quote one more time. Gary, Gary responded that he would try to play chess moves that he would have played if he were feeling confident. He would pretend to feel confident and hopefully trigger the state. Sometimes you have to fake it till you make it. This is Kinch with Your Business Podcast. Let's all go read some more books. Every book has something we can take from it. 10 bucks, 20 bucks. Is it worth it? Can you apply it to your life and make your life better in so many ways? I think it's so worth it. There's so many mentors. I may never meet Josh, but he's already given me lots of thoughts and things to learn. Terry, thank you for giving me the book. It was great.